Stephen Graham was over here. Daisy Ridley was over here. Christopher Eccleston was over here. Joachim Ronnie, the director, who'd done Pirates of the Caribbean. And I was sitting in this in this sort of training pool with my feet in the water. It was hot and sunny. It was one of the very few times in my life I said to myself, like, whatever happens, this is my dream, and I've got a day living here. I think the biggest skill you can take from stand-up and acting that you can then take into a business is rejection and handling rejection. Failing with a startup is intense. You've got a lot of people's money on the line. You've got years of your life on the line. You've got customers, you've got people that you've sold this dream to, that you genuinely believed in. I think the ultimate balance with a startup is knowing when to pivot and when to stick with it. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. And on this episode, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Rob Eads. Rob, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Thanks for having me. All right. Give us 30, 60 seconds about you. And this is going to be tough considering how much you do. Yeah, I know, which is probably a testament to my <laughs> my jumping between things. But I would say I am a founder. Uh, I've got a creative tech business called Flarebox, uh, which we can get onto. I'm an actor, presenter, comedian, content creator, um, and probably some other things that will come up during the conversation. Personal trainer. Personal trainer, of course. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually coaching you, of course. Um, yeah, I do a lot of different things. Uh, some of them better than others. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, probably a testament to ADHD. But you, as long as I've known you, which has been a while now, it's probably been about three, four years. Yeah. You know, you've always been firing on lots of different cylinders and doing really well on all of them. And, and you know, really just pushing, your sh- pushing yourself on that. How does that look for you? Because, you know, for me, like, it's got to be so focused on one thing, mm. but seeing you, consi- you know, consistently pushing boundaries across all the things you do is, is amazing. Yeah, I think I, I've i been quite lucky in that my my sort of biggest North Star is acting. Um, that's my sort of passion. That's my dream. That's what I really want to do. And unfortunately, it's not something that I can control in the same way as I could with, you know, personal training, with trying to build a business. So I'm dependent on auditions, Sometimes I get them, sometimes I don't. Um, and that the nature of that means that it's it's not consistent. And that's sort of, you know, this could be a strength, it could be a weakness, it's probably a bit of both. But that's given me this sense that I can do loads of different stuff at the same time. Um, and I can do it well. Now, that's all well and good in principle. There are definitely things that I should have spent more focus and energy on at certain times, for sure. Um, but I'm not satisfied doing the same thing day after day. So the balance for me is between, I suppose, really being happy, um, which I need variation to feel, to feel content, to feel motivated, to feel happy. Um, and, you know, getting my head down and really focusing on one thing to, to see how big that particular thing could get. I always compare uh, being a founder to doing stand-up in the sense of, I mean, there's a lot of overlap, right? Yeah. But you're ultimately being very masochistic, right? Putting yourself through the ringer on the very, very slim chance of a successful outcome. I guess acting is the same. Uh, how do you see the three things connecting? You know, what are the skills that have allowed you to, to pursue all three? And talk to us about having a thick skin because you definitely need that for those three things. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the biggest skill you can take from stand-up and acting that you can then take into a business is rejection Mm. and handling rejection um i've been acting since i was 13 or 14 so i've been rejected once a week on average probably (laughs) since i was 13 or 14 and it sounds silly but even for the rest of life that is a really powerful helpful thing because you start to like you say build a thick skin and start to realize that you know 
99 times out of 100, I was going to say 9 times out of 10, but it's at least 99 out of 100. It, it's not personal. You know, if you don't get something that you think you get, if, you know, uh, uh, I'm a straight man, so if a girl turns me down, it's not because, you know, I'm not good enough. It's because that just wasn't quite right at that time. Um, and acting is, is such a good example of that because, you know, you could nail an audition. And I've actually had it a few times where I've nailed an audition, haven't been quite right for that part, cast director's got me back in for another part and I've ended up getting a part in, mm. in whatever that series or, or film may be which is a really good uh, it really reinforces you know what, what I'd like to think is the case um, comedy it's harder to get that reinforcement for definite <laughs> and comedy is more brutal why no, is that? no two ways about it because firstly you've got a whole crowd there um, secondly I think there's a, a, a human feeling that if someone's standing in front of you trying to make you laugh, it's almost arrogant of them to, to think they can make you laugh, <laughs> I think. Uh, and it's really difficult to make people laugh mm. just standing there doing it. You know, I've, I've been lucky enough to see you do a couple of gigs and you made me laugh for sure. And I'm sure there were people in the room that didn't laugh. Oh, more than um, who laughed. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that booed and heckled. And, <laughs> um, and the funny thing about, I think, comedy more than acting is that the, the adrenaline rush of a good gig is about as good as it gets. And I know you talk a lot about dopamine, ADHD, that kind of thing. And I have to admit, that's probably what draws me to it. I wouldn't say that I'm someone that's deeply passionate about comedy mm. um, and desperately wants to be a comedian, but I love the rush of a good gig. Um, and I think, you know, through developing a thick skin throughout my life, probably through acting, I've also learned that if I don't have a good gig, it's not the end of the world. Mm. And, and it's actually incredibly empowering. Having, having a terrible gig, you walk off the stage... And at the time, it's heartbreaking and you wish the ground would swallow you up. And then after five minutes, nothing's changed. And it's this weird realisation that actually no one thinks about you as much as you think about yourself. Uh, in fact, people don't think about you at all, really. Mm. And, and all you really think about is yourself because that's the human condition, right? A hundred percent. I love that, by the way. And there's one thing which I think is amazing about you genuinely. Um, I see this a lot in comedy. I see this a lot in the founder community. I imagine you see this in the acting world, which is uh, a lot of people become very, very bitter when it's not working out for them. Mm. Um, you obviously deal with that rejection in a really positive manner of saying, well, not the right timing, bounce back, all the rest of it. But a lot of people go down the self-doubt route. Um, is that something you've always had? Do you think that is virtue of the fact that you started so early? Like, what, Why do you respond to it in this way, which many people don't? Yeah, that's a really good question. And not something I've thought about in detail, really. Um, I think one thing that I am lucky to have is that my older brother and I were always incredibly competitive. Um, incredibly competitive to a point where we'd fight a lot, which must have been very difficult for our parents and our step-parents. So apologies uh, if you're watching this. Um, uh, and then I also went to a very competitive uh, grammar school in Kent. Um, and it's interesting, actually, because I, I was only recently diagnosed with ADHD. Um, in June and I'm sure you've been through the process but you answered a hell of a lot of questions and then you have a bit of a sort of uh, a debrief I suppose with with the, the psychotherapist yeah, yeah. Um, and he talked about you know I think the the, the the maybe naive opinion I had of ADHD was that it, it's sort of debilitating and, and it stops you achieving things you want to achieve sorry I'm getting a little bit off track here no 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 um, but Actually, he was explaining to me ways in which I have adapted to cope with that. Um, 
we will get back to a link eventually to the question. Um, and one of those is that I did go to a very competitive school and that suited me because the competition drove me to, to keep working hard and to keep up and to never get left behind. Mm. Um, and I think that then has led on to me having this sense of, you know, my biggest fear is not achieving what I think I'm capable of achieving. Um, and I'm nowhere near that. But I also know that I'm capable of achieving what I think I'm capable of achieving, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it's so, self-belief. Yeah, so I suppose that is that is self-belief, which is driven by, you know, I'm I'm, I'm desperate to do incredible things in my life. Um, I've never had a sense of like, you know, I want to do a nine to five and I want to, you know, have a solid income every month. I wouldn't mind a solid income every month. <laughs> but, you know, the sacrifice for that is not one that I think is worth taking. Mm. So... I think unless y you have that sense of I'm capable, I can do it, and, and you're resilient and you've got thick skin, like you say, there's so many people that want to be comedians, there's so many people that want to be actors, so many people that want to be singers, so many people that want to be founders. You're all but fucked, <laughs> you know, if, if you don't have that. 100%, 100%. But I think um, one of the things I get from speaking to you is you also have a lot of patience. You know, it's that uh, desire to achieve everything you want to achieve and, and live up to your full potential, max out on everything. But also it feels like there's a real patience with you in saying, well, there's a bit of timing. You know, I, I know that things are going to come at the right time. There must be moments, though, when you're like, fuck, I need things to be happening quicker right now. Yeah, massively. I think I've got a lot of patience with acting. Um, and that's because I've been lucky enough to, you know, do really good parts in big Hollywood films, really good parts in massive TV series. So I know that, you know, if I keep going, it, it will come. I have been less patient with the business for definite. Um, it's interesting. I was thinking about this earlier. It, it, I, I think the ultimate balance with a startup is knowing when to pivot and when to stick with it. Um, and I think with Flarebox, we, we raised quite a lot of money. We've got quite a big grant to develop the technology we're building. I think there were points at which we didn't pivot soon enough. And there are points of which we pivoted too soon. Mm. So the patience thing, I think actually probably inherently I'm not a patient person, um, which is probably why I also jump from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Um, but then I've also been quite lucky that, you know, in a lot of things I've done presenting, you know, I've presented a BBC cookery show, which is kind of nuts because I'm not a chef. <laughs> like I just started an Instagram page and cook stuff. Um, but I think because I've seen success in different areas, that's given me just a bit of, you know, I suppose we go back to self-belief that things will come good. Just need to keep putting the work in mm. and, and not give up. So how important is it to celebrate those successes? And at what point did you really feel like that first major validation to say like, okay, I'm onto something here. What, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. It's really important. I'm not very good at it. Um, I think I'm not very good at it because I just, I move the goalposts every time. Mm. So, you know, something that I did. So I, I did a small part in a series called the Larkins on ITV, which was um, a remake of the Darling Buds of May, which was a massive series in the nineties, I think nineties. Um, and at the time it was the first job I'd done. It was the first job I'd done since I went to university. Mm. So it was probably the first acting job I'd done in about seven years. I was so excited. I was so thrilled. If I got that part today, I'd be like, I don't really want to do that. 
Um, so it means that, you know, there's things that I, I'll get a part in at the moment that will be, you know, on paper, they're really exciting. But in my head now, I'm like, well, I want to get a lead in a series next. Mm. I want to get a lead in a movie next. You know, it, I, I'm, I like doing guest leads. That's amazing. But I constantly move the goalposts. So that's a weakness for sure, because it's important to, to celebrate those things. But, you know, the other side of it is, I, I think it's definitely prevalent amongst creatives, definitely prevalent amongst founders. I'm not someone that's easily satisfied mm. <laughs> with life, you know, and and that does mean that, you know, I've had long periods where I've felt like I'm not achieving things mm. and like, what's the point? This isn't this isn't going how it's meant to go. I'm, I should be doing way more mm. what's going on here. But the flip side of it is that I'm always driven to, to keep trying and, yeah. and keep working and keep doing things. Um, definitely to a fault. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a tough one, right? Because the thing is, I think as people who strive to be high achievers, you can see objectively you're progressing, mm. but the subjective experience is one of frustration or, you know, I'm no longer satisfied by that, as you said. Do you think it ever gets to a point of, cool, now I'm, 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 you know, tick that box, I'm happy now, or is it just going to be a constant moving of the goalposts? And does that worry you? It will definitely be a constant moving of the goalposts. Um, I think a, a naive, younger me would have, have looked at things and thought, you know, if I get a really cool role in a really cool series, like, that'd be pretty cool. To be fair, I, I've, I did a, a movie for Disney um, last summer, and I remember it was my first day and uh, the set was this huge um, ship from the 1920s, 19, 1910s, 1920s, mm -hmm. called SS America. Mm -hmm. And it was the ship that the US team travelled to Paris for the Olympic Games on. And they built this thing in Bulgaria in a, in a movie studio in a lot. Um, and it was extraordinary. It was it was like nothing I'd ever seen in terms of sets and budget and that kind of thing. And I was sitting on this uh, practice pool. So the men were allowed to train on the way over to the Olympics. The women weren't um, because it was uncouth for them to be out training, which is part of the, the story of the film. Um, and I was sitting in this in this sort of training pool with my feet in the water. It was hot and sunny. Stephen Graham was over here. Daisy Ridley was over here. Christopher Eccleston was over here. Um, Joachim Rorning, the director, who's doing Thor. He's done Pirates of the Caribbean. He's over here. And I looked around, and I it, it was one of the very few times in my life I said to myself, like, whatever happens, this is my dream, and I've got a day living it. Like, how lucky am I? I actually had a few weeks living it. So I have had points, but the trouble is to me is that those things have to be so high. Mm -hmm. like they have to be so far above what I perceive as normal for me to feel satisfied with them mm -hmm. that I can't see a world in which I feel satisfied more days than I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so difficult. And when you look at the uh, complex structure of dopamine in the brain, once you hit certain peaks, it's, it's a that. It's like creating a threshold. Mm. And to feel that peak again, you've got to go more extreme. <laughs> yeah. um, but, it, but look, you know, 
you're in an amazing part of the trajectory. Let's have this conversation again in 20 years when we're both in the downturn. That's going to be powerful, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But, but, but Finding I think, other ways to get dopamine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but that's amazing. On, on a side note, Stephen Graham, my favourite actor in oh. the world. I mean, what's that like working with him? Oh, incredible. Also, he's a Liverpool fan as well. So oh, nice. I, I remember watching the Liverpool... No, I watched the City-Real Madrid game when City got knocked out yeah. in the last minute with him in the hotel. Um, again, it's just surreal. He's just the most exceptionally brilliant actor. Mm. Um, and he also, like, he gave me a couple of tips that have really helped me with my acting 100%. Nice. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Very, very really cool. cool. Um, how important is setting your goals high? I, I was thinking about this earlier this morning because I, I, I'm genuinely a stage in life. Things are not perfect by any means, but I genuinely feel like I have everything in life that when I was 15 years old, at tough moments, if I could see myself now, I'd be like, fuck yes. Yeah. You know, amazing. Um, so how important is it to set goals high? Because all that background processing in the brain, all the things that we drive towards, you know, our goals will dictate our, our movements. So, so what is goal setting like for you? And, and tell us about that. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one because I think in society, we are sort of trained to follow these society-wide things. Goals, I think, is an example of that. So for some people, I think setting high goals is really important because that gives you, you know, a yardstick that you can measure yourself by and that's your target, that's what you're going for. I think for others, I think one of the I'm one of the others. I, I know I'm driven. I know I'll work hard. I know what I want from life. I know what I want to achieve. And I don't know if setting a specific, you know, a smart goal to achieve X by X is actually that helpful for me? Because sometimes I will hit it, and that's great. Sometimes I won't, and I'll be like, well, I'm not even in track with what I want to do, so what's the point? Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, they can, they can, well, I mean, obviously, like like any goal, you know, mm. it, it, it can be motivating if you're hitting them, and it can be demotivating if you're not. Mm. But I suppose the flip side of that is it can also be motivating if you don't hit it, yeah, and it yeah. can be demotivating if you do, because it's not high enough. Well, I think it's mindset, right? I think it ultimately will come back down to mindset. And for you, because speaking uh, for myself here, there are definitely moments where I feel like I can't be fucked. Mm. And it's about pushing through those moments. But I speak to some people who are like, nope, don't have those moments. I am just, you know, so tuned in. It's like, it's not even a consideration to me to have an off day. Where are you at with that? I'm in your camp, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I well, uh, this, is, this is a whole long story. So with, with Flarebox, we got to the end of last year, we hadn't quite found product market fit. We weren't generating enough revenue. We were trying to raise based on growth and the market shifted to raising based on revenue. Mm. Um, so we had to try and find a different way to raise, uh, uh, sorry, a different way to survive and get money in, start generating revenue. Um, we tried a number of things. We laid off most of our team. My co-founder Elliot and I went down to three days a week we didn't have you know enough runway to do anything else and then if i think if i'm completely honest come january or february we both knew the writing was on the wall mm. um we didn't we weren't that sort of open and clear with our investors i don't think because i think a part of us both of us still thought we can make this work we can make this work uh and i probably spent five months waking up and not really knowing what I was going to do that day. Um, 
but I've got goosebumps because it actually makes me quite emotional thinking about it. And that doesn't suit me, like, at all. I struggle with that. Uh, because, you know, what we were talking about earlier, like, I want to do amazing things in my life, and I don't want to be sitting around thinking, what am, I, what, what am I doing today? What am I doing? What's the point? What am I doing? I was lucky to get a couple of really exciting acting roles in that time, um, which definitely helped me, you know, just feel like it's all moving, it's all going to be fine. Um, but I, I, I think I, I was grieving, mm. really. Um, and I don't think we talk about failures enough in in the startup world. A hundred percent, you know, all you all you see is we've hit our, you know, OKRs. We've raised a load of money. We've done X, Y, and Z. We've exited, which is fine. And in a similar to Instagram, you know, all you see is people's positives. But you know, failing with a startup is is intense mm. because you've got a lot of people's money on the line. You've got years of your life on the line. You've got customers. You've got people that you've sold this dream to that you genuinely believed in. Mm. And then I think the last thing is like is is self belief. Like you know, I I I knew this was going to work, and it didn't. So where does that put my opinions on the world, and you know what I believe, and you know, am I an idiot? I suppose is, is a question that you ask. The reason I, s I said that was because five or six months of this year, yeah, I've spent a lot of time getting up in the morning not knowing what I'm going to do that day and as a result not doing an awful lot. Mm. Um, one thing I have, thank God, been consistent with is, is fitness and training, mm -hmm. um, which I think without Lifesaver in that period, I'm sure. Complete lifesaver, yeah. Mm. But then the other thing that I definitely don't have enough control over is, you know, I during that period often I'd have a couple of drinks on a Friday it would never be a couple of drinks, mm. um, ever. And that's something I constantly struggle with. Mm. I'm lucky that I've not had addiction problems with alcohol, but I think I could very easily could do <laughs> um, because I'm not good at stopping. Um, so that's, you know, the, the flip side of the I'm not good at stopping with anything is that <laughs> if, that's, if that's advice, you know, that can be dangerous, I suppose. And that's something to be aware of. Absolutely, and look, that's ADHD through and through, yeah. right? It's our, our brains need the dopamine to focus. Mm. Dopamine is just the pursuit, right? That's what dopamine comes from, just pursuing something. And that's why we always feel a little bit unsatisfied with the payoff because mm. actually the highest dopamine release is the pursuit, right? So that that getting after it, um, and as you say, you know, the fact that fitness is such an anchor for you uh, is a lifesaver, right? There are, there are so many people I see with ADHD where it's like, they are going to be addicted, right? It might be work, it might be fitness, it might be alcohol, it might be fast food, it might be cocaine, whatever it is, right? Yeah. And, you know, having anchoring is so important because, you know, it's your 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 brain is just so hard-coded <laughs> to pursue in that way. you got to hope you've got some good ones in there, right? To, to, yeah. to taper out the rest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Rob, I've got uh, five questions I ask everyone. By the way, we've yep. done this for five hours. I'm going to get you back on at some point for sure. Great. Um, so the first question I want to ask you is, what is the single biggest risk you've ever taken and what was the outcome? Um, interestingly, I walked up here from Liverpool Street and I walked past the big NatWest office there, which is where I did my internship. It was RBS then at university in my second year. Um, I did 10 weeks, was offered a grad job in banking, um, I came to the end of university and I decided I didn't want to do that and I went to drama school instead. Which I think, you know, life sometimes gives you 
a fork in the road, that's probably about as big as it gets, really. It was either like go down this route, which all my friends were going down and which seemed like the normal thing to do and the sensible thing to do, or basically risk earning loads of money every year, having an amazing house guaranteed, having a nice car, having all of this stuff, um, and doing what I really want to do with my life. Um, and I chose to go to drama school. And the result is that, I mean, I, I, I'm probably contradicting what I just said about, you know, having some time this year where I, I woken up and didn't know what I was going to do with my day. But the result is that generally I don't wake up and think, ugh, I don't get the Sunday scaries. I don't have those things. But I don't have regular solid income either, <laughs> which to be honest, I quite like. Like I like having periods where it's going really well and I can, you know, live it up. And sometimes I don't, which makes you appreciate the periods when I do. So. Keeps you on your toes, I'm sure. Exactly, yeah. Um, but it, it's really interesting. And I, I this is only something that I've really been verbalizing over the last five months. But I genuinely believe that moments which feel like they were or are the mo worst moments in our life, will be the best. Mm -hmm. It's new beginnings, it's turning chapter, and it's in those moments where if you can have gratitude in those moments, so for example, that really tough period of time with Flarebox, to be able to still think, thank fuck I didn't go down the NatWest route. Yeah. I think if we can have gratitude in those real moments of, of trial and tribulation, those moments will be the most important, best, and most impactful moments of our lives. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, I concur. Yeah, I love that. All right. My next one for you is, is there anything you wish you did differently? Uh, it's a very good question. I think it would be arrogant to suggest that I did everything right. Mm -hmm. What I would say is that every decision I've made, I've done with the knowledge I had at the time. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. So at the time, it was the right thing to do because that's the decision I took. Um, but with the benefit of hindsight, one one thing that definitely I would do differently is building things in mud before spending a fortune on them, um, which we didn't do enough with Flarebox, for sure. You know, we we had things we thought were problems for our customers that maybe weren't as big a problems as we thought they were, or we thought that what we were building was a definite solution to that problem when maybe it actually wasn't quite the right way to go about solving it. The two things are pretty similar in terms of the outcome, um, which is the we spent a fortune building things that weren't actually that helpful. And, you know, if we hadn't done that, if we'd have built a more simple version, tested it with our customers first, iterated, iterated, maybe things would have ended up differently with, with Flarebox. But like you say, you know, they didn't. There's a reason they didn't. Um, and it did take me quite a long time to kind of come to grips with that. Mm. But now I'm in a place where, I mean, we're obviously working together on the personal training stuff. Like, I am I love that stuff. I've been doing it for so long. I know so much about it. Mm. I also love the, the, the world of founders, the world of business. So knowing how powerful that that can be for founders to help them build special businesses is I feel like I'm in such a privileged position that I've had enough time to think what, what, you know, what, what are the biggest things I can kind of give the world? What's mm -hmm. the most powerful thing I have? My knowledge probably. Um, and where's that most effectively placed? And that's kind of where I'm at right now which is exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, you know, because uh, CEO Fit, I guess, is the next step in your founder journey, Yeah, right? Um, knowing what you know now from the Flarebox experience, how much does that impact the way you're building this, looking at this? Uh, and also, as a second question, knowing what you know now about the Flarebox journey, would you go back into full-on startup founder mode again? 
I, <laughs> so here's my, my long term. Um, the, the, the big dream is one thing is to always do the, the fitness stuff. Um, you know, and if that ends up being a Chris Hemsworth style, massive fitness business, great. That's really exciting. I don't think my skill set is the best for being a CEO of a business. Um, I jump between things too much. I probably focus on myself too much. Um, but I would love to build something special with someone that I thought was the person that had the skills I didn't have. And I think Elliot and I, who was my co-founder mm. of Flarebox, still is, um, we've got a similar skill set, mm. which is a massive learning, mm. massive learning. Um, we were best mates to start a company together. We weren't, you know, co-founders that thought, you're really good at this, I'm really good at this, let's make it work, which yeah. is what I would have to have if I did, you know, go straight back into the <laughs> trenches again and, and start a new business to scale. Yeah, I mean, I feel you completely on that. It's exactly what I did with my first startup. Two commercial co-founders, both on a co-CEO model who were yeah. friends before. Recipe for disaster, right? Yeah. Uh, always is. I mean, to be fair, we managed to get an amazing outcome with that business, but you're 100% right. Biggest bit of advice I would ever give a co-founding team, uh, and as both of us living with the battle scars of this, <laughs> is make sure you don't touch the same fucking stuff. Yeah. You know, technical, commercial, product, commercial. That's nice. Commercial, commercial, Difficult. doesn't work, right? Yeah, doesn't least work. of arguments. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. My next question for you is, what does it take to be successful? Another really good question. I think that depends on your definition of success. Mm -hmm. I would say my definition of success is doing something that makes you happy the majority of the time. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. Really nice. And I think that's... You know, that's a nice sentence, but to get to that point, you need to find something that makes you happy that you can make a living doing, which is not easy, definitely not. And then something that you'll be surrounded by people that you enjoy being around while you're doing it, mm. that inspire you, that motivate you. And then you need to put the work in to make that something you can do for a living. Um, and, you know, that doesn't mean starting a business. It doesn't mean doing something outrageous like deciding you want to be a bloody actor mm. something stupid you could say um but i think a lot of people get stuck in life um doing something they don't really enjoy that much and then it's this cycle isn't it you live for the weekend probably drink a bit too much you probably let other things slip that are actually really important in the long run um and it gets harder and harder to get out of that you've got a mortgage you've got kids at schools you've got a lease on a car you've got whatever else it may be a lifestyle that you need to uphold. So if you want to overcome that, the only person that can do it is yourself. Um, and you need to take a big leap, a bold leap, uh, to doing something that you enjoy more. So that's based on my definition of success. <laughs> if you want to make a load of money and that's your definition of success, fine. Different. Should have taken the Nat West internship. Yeah, if God that was what it. it was. I'm going to walk straight in there after this. <laughs> Take me back. Um, no, but I, I think it's a, an amazing point. And you're so right about that lifestyle creep, lifestyle inflation, however you want to call it. And I think we live in a society where our base assumption of success is around that, you know, stacking as much cash as possible, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think we all eventually realize that that isn't necessarily our own version of success, uh, but it just takes time to get there. Some people, and I would say we're blessed, 
to realize that at an earlier stage to be able to see through that and say, okay, yeah, maybe it's something we want, but it's not the be all and end all. It's not the end in itself. Yeah. Um, and I know some people who realize that at 75 years old, you know, and they're like, fuck, I didn't live the life I wanted to live because I just went with base assumption on success. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we are blessed to have seen that early. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, having a North Star that's bloody exciting is not a bad way to live life. Yes, exactly that. What are you proudest of? I think I'd say I'm proudest of, of you know, I'm still standing, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, I've, I've lived in a pretty nice place since I moved to London. I go on holidays when I want to. Um, I generally don't have to worry too much about, about you know, deciding whether or not to do things I want to do. I think that's kind of what it's all about. Mm. Like, what else is there? Um, it was interesting to go back to the point you were just making. We, we very nearly sold Flarebox um, to one of our competitors. And it fell through. And at the time, it felt like the end of the world. And that was tough. But one thing I did learn was that I was very close to having millions in the bank. And there wasn't a... Well, I mean, that was exciting. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say that wasn't like, oh my God, this will solve some problems. But I need to be focused and motivated and doing something to feel happy. And actually, if anything, you know... Maybe if we had sold the business, it could have been quite bad for me, I think, potentially. Because, you know, like it, whether you like it or not, making money is important and you need to make enough money. And, you know, it's not a, a, a question of I want to make enough money. You have to, to, to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if I didn't have that, maybe I'd be less motivated. Maybe I wouldn't, you know, be doing the things that I enjoy doing. I'm really glad you said that. I'm really glad you said that because I think it's, a really important f- lesson for all founders to to hear, especially first-time founders as well, is you think that a transaction, a potential transaction, is the key to happiness because so much of your lifeblood goes into building the business that it's almost hinged on that outcome. But in the same way that you're describing the impact of um, you know that transaction not happening with Flowers, when we sold Real Sport, uh, it was most impressed they've been. The most impressive I've been because actually the you still go through the grieving process, right? Because it's that lifeblood that you've poured into this thing, this, you know, playing that character of this is who I am. I am CEO of this company. This yeah. is what I live for. These are my values, you know, for so long. And then it's like, oh, wait, you know, now what? And it drives you crazy because yeah. it's like, well, how am I going to recruit? Who am I now? What am I now? And I think, um, you know, it, it's it's a problem that we have is, how do we separate our identity from this thing that we pour our lifeblood into? And it's a tough one for all of us. How did that manifest for you, if you don't mind me asking, in terms of you know, how did you go about finding your identity again? And uh, mate, I spent six months being like, okay, I'm going to be a fireman. Uh, I'm going to go work with, <laughs> with guide dogs. Uh, maybe I will take the NatWest internship. Like, yeah, it was just six months of literally... Di- and during that six months, you start blowing your cash. Because the thing is, especially if you came from a place where you didn't have cash, just like you said, it's like that sharpness of, I don't know what I'm going to do this month. Like that sharpness of like, I've got to be fucking on it. It goes for a little bit. It goes for a little bit because it's like, okay, well, I'm not really working right now. I'm not worried about money right now. And it's a really new and strange and uncomfortable but not in a good way place and then i think you know there's a bit of integration or the rest of it and hopefully you didn't blow everything and <laughs> some assets like you know hopefully you yeah. made some smart decisions at that point which thank god i did yeah but 
it, it's a really weird time and uh i felt much more comfortable again founding connected where it's like okay i put a, a lot of my own, of my own money into connected like i'm not taking a salary again and actually almost going back to simplicity mm. was actually the thing that that really helped in many ways yeah. um so it's an interesting one interesting. um my last question for you rob is 15 year old rob walks in the room right now what are you going to tell him so i think sort of to preface my answer i don't think i would change anything so far um but i I've always been a people pleaser um, and that has, you know, perhaps slowed down my progress in achieving things I really want to achieve and what I really want from my life because I've often thought, oh, you know, that would make my parents happy or that would, you know, make my friends respect me or that would make a girl like me, whatever it may be. So I think what I would say is focus on the things that you really want, not the things that think you want because it would impress other people it's awesome advice i think that's great advice for everyone rob where can people find you yeah so i am on instagram at rob underscore eads or if you want help with your fitness and health rob underscore eads underscore fit amazing rob you're a fucking legend thank you so much mate thank you thanks for watching the episode and if you haven't subscribed please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.